when I was a teenager, I got my license. About a year after I got my license, my youth group was going to be going on a trip way upstate. And um, I was in a band that had a gig, and I was like, I'm not missing the gig for this. So I stayed, and our band played for the four and a half people in the room that were there. And uh, then I got up early the next morning, and I drove upstate. And I'm driving, and I'm driving, and I'm driving. I'm not getting where I'm supposed to be going, like some kind of campground I was supposed to be ending up at. I'm driving and driving. And I, I finally realized something's gone really wrong when I see a sign that says, Last U.S. Exit. I realized I had driven to Canada. <laughs> And I got out, I, I took the exit, I got out at a gas station to go talk to somebody up there and was like, help me figure out what to do. This is like, there's no GPSs at this time. There are no cell phones, so I got to stop at a gas station. I go in to this gas station, and the man there was French-Canadian. He didn't even speak English. So I walk in, I start talking to him. He's like, I don't even know. Like, like, if I said something offensive in French, I'm sorry, I don't actually speak it, but... Uh, it was something along those lines. And so I'm talking to him. We're trying to figure stuff out. I finally get, a, I don't even know how I was able to connect with my dad and the caves at the campsite. And I, I figured out what I had done wrong and what I needed to do to reorient myself and get back on track. And in this series, that's exactly what we're talking about is realizing sometimes that we're off the path that we maybe wanted to be on or the path that we know God has for us to be on. That sometimes we just, we have to stop for a minute and say, wait, where am I? And where is God? And what direction am I going? And maybe make some adjustments. Last week, we kicked this series off. We discovered the word reorient means to find one's position again in relation to one's surroundings. And we don't just have to do this in life, but we have to do this with Jesus. We have to say, wait, where are you, God? What are you up to? What are you doing? And where am I? Am I on the right path? Our mission here at this church is to help people center their lives around Jesus. That's the path that we think we're supposed to be on. And, and, and once a year, we take some time to reorient ourselves with this mission, to kind of look back at it and say, okay, are we headed in the right direction? Are we helping people center their lives around Jesus? We want you to know, what does it look like for me to live a day-by-day life where my life is centered around and Jesus. And like I said last, last week, the reason this is so important for us to talk about every year is because we add new people every year, which is awesome. But also, I think for those of us who've been around for a while, even myself, I mean, myself and our staff here came up with that mission statement, but I find myself getting off track sometimes. And I have to reorient myself with that mission sometimes. And I would guess you do too, even if you've been around for a while. You're like, I've heard this before, Doug. Great. Let's talk about it again and let's see where we are and let's get back on the path that God may have for us. As I said last week, some of us have some minor adjustments to make. You know, Some of us, as we talk about this, and we're kind of realizing like, okay, wow, I think I maybe need to make some tweaks here. Others of us need to stop the car, go talk to the French guy, get the right directions, turn the car around, and go backward the other way because we've gotten so off course. So whether it's a minor adjustment or a major adjustment, we just want to spend a few weeks looking at what it means to center our lives around Jesus. So question you might have is, what does it mean to center your life around Jesus? Well, here's what it means. It means instead of asking God to come join my life, it's about me saying, God, I want to join what you're doing. So instead of like, hey, Jesus, come into my life and follow me on my direction, it's saying, all right, Jesus, where are you headed? What are you up to in the world? And how can I center everything around you? How can I make my whole life about you? That's what it means to center our lives around Jesus. And but even though that might sound nice, like how do you live that? What does it look like to live that every day? Well, that's what we're talking about here in this four-part series is, is what it looks like to actually walk this out and to make this the way that we live our lives. So our, staff's kinda, our staff kind of came together, we prayed, we talked, and we kind of worked through like, what does it look like practically 
to live this out? What, what do people who are living their lives to be centered around Jesus, what do they do on a day-to-day basis? What does it look like? So we came up with sort of five characteristics, I guess you could say, of people who have their lives centered around Jesus. And so the first one we looked at last week, learn and apply. We think it's so important that we learn We're constantly learning about who God is. We're constantly growing in our knowledge of God, but then we're applying what we learn. So it's not just like, oh, cool, I know all these Bible verses, but they don't make any difference in my life. No, we have to apply it. That's what really matters. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the reason you might not like some of the Christians you've met in in your life is because they've learned, but they haven't applied, right? The applying matters. So we should know stuff, and we should be constant learners, but then we have to apply it to our everyday lives. Next, we want to talk tonight about this next one, experience. We think that this is so important that every one of us has our own personal experience with God. The next one we're going to talk about next week, which is worship. And then in week four, we're going to talk about the last two, which is connect. We think it's important that people be connecting with other people. And you're going to hear from some other people besides me that night. And we're also going to be talking about how important it is to serve, to use the gifts that God's given us to be able to make an impact on others. And so we think that these are five sort of characteristics of people who are centering their lives around Jesus. And as I said last week, these five things don't save you, right? So if you're here tonight for the first time and you're like, what's this all about? And you're like taking notes, like, oh, if I write these five things down and do them, then I guess I could call myself a Christian. No, here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. Jesus alone saves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. He rose from the dead and he saves you. That's it. But these are five characteristics of people who are trying then to live their life centered around Jesus. This is what already saved people do, okay, to keep their lives centered around Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might be like, well, why Jesus? Like, why are you all excited about this Jesus? Well, it's because we think he's the only one worth centering our lives around. He's the only one that came for us, the only one that died in our place, the only one that can remove our sin, and the only one that loves us unconditionally and is committed to us unconditionally. And so we think he is the absolute best person to center our lives around. So today, let's talk about experiencing God. This is so important that every person has their own experiences with God. Why? Well, there's this devastating verse in the Old Testament, which is in the first half of the Bible. And it talks about a whole generation that didn't follow God. There was this whole generation, and it was so funny because the generation before them followed God. The generation before them followed God. And you can kind of trace it back a ways. But then there's this one generation that didn't follow God. And do you know what explanation the Bible gives us? It says they didn't follow God because they had no personal experience with him. They didn't follow God because even though their parents had seen God was good, and even though their grandparents had experienced God and seen miracles and awesome things, they themselves hadn't experienced God. So they didn't follow him. And I think that's so important. It's a little bit of my story. If you hear the evidence CD set, you'll hear that I kind of grew up with a lot of knowledge. My parents loved God. My grandparents loved God. But I hadn't had much of my own personal experience. And when I had my own personal experience, it brought everything else to life. So there may be many of you in the room tonight that have a lot of knowledge about God. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you didn't grow up in church. But just since you've been a follower of Jesus, you've learned a lot and you've studied and you've grown but you don't have that personal experience with God. I'm telling you, that is what kind of brings everything else to life. Another reason this is so important is because even if you're close with God, even if you've had an experience with God, often, don't we kind of go through those seasons where things just feel kind of dry with God? Like our motivation isn't quite what it used to be, our excitement or our passion for Jesus isn't what it once was. 
And when you experience God, when he shows up and does something incredible, all that life comes back. All those dry places in your soul feel fresh and alive again. And so an experience with God is just so incredibly important. We need to see that he still heals physical bodies, that he still does things that only he could do. I want my kids to know. I want them to have their own experiences with God, knowing that he's close when we go through difficult things. Some of us need to see God come through in our finances, like we're just going through it, and we need God to do a straight-up miracle, provide a scholarship for a school or something, or provide a new job for us, or just do something to help us. Some of us are desperately trying to figure out what God's will is for our life, right? What school do I go to? Who do I marry? Some of you guys older in the room, you're trying to figure out some different things for your stage of life as far as, man, do I switch careers? Do I hang in where I am? Do I go back to school? Um, Some of you guys are thinking about your kids or your grandkids crying out to God. God, have them. These are all examples of places we desperately need God to show up in our lives. And so it's so vital and it's so important. But the question, I think, is this. Some of you guys are like, I would love to experience God, but how do I do it? Right? Like, what does it look like to be a person who experiences God? That's what I want to talk with you about tonight. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I think this is the answer for you, too. I think tonight... You need to experience God. You've come in here with some doubts, and that's okay. You're more than welcome. God's not afraid of your questions. Neither are we, okay? So you've come in with some doubts and some questions. You need to experience God because that will be like, oh, my gosh, he's real. The light will go on. Oh, my gosh, he, I can trust Jesus. I can trust his story. I mean, it's a little bit crazy to say someone died and rose back from the dead, but he's made himself so real to me, I can't deny it. And so all of us in the room need the same thing, an experience with God, an up-to-date, current experience with God. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump through the book of Acts a little bit here tonight, and we're going to look at what it looks like to be the kind of person that experiences God. Is there something you and I can do to be in on this? Is there some way we can center our life around Jesus so that we're kind of setting ourselves up to experience God in our lives today? So let me give you just a little backstory of where we are. So Jesus has died. He's risen back from the dead. He's shown himself to his followers over and over again. I just want you to be convinced tonight that Jesus' followers actually saw him alive after he was put in the tomb. At one point, there were 500 that saw him, right? He made breakfast for them. He hung out. He went fishing with them. Thomas put his hands in Jesus, uh, in the holes in Jesus' hands and feet. I mean, they touched him. This wasn't like a mirage. And like I've said before, many of the disciples were killed for saying Jesus was alive, right? And we've talked about this before, that you don't die for what you know is a lie, right? So these guys that are gonna end up, as you see tonight as we look in prison, you don't go to jail for something you know is not true, right? These guys stood up, they said, no, I'll go to jail. You can kill me, you do whatever you want to me. We saw Jesus alive. So they see Jesus alive, and Jesus' last conversation with them, he gives them this mission, and the mission is go change the world. Go change the world. And they're like, what? Us? How are we going to go change the world? Like, you remember, like, a little while ago, we all ran from you, Jesus, right? And we, remember Peter? Like, everyone's ratting Peter out. Remember he, like, denied you, like, three times? No, no, no. Go change the world. And I want you to see the first thing they do when Jesus gives them this mission. Because this is exactly what you and I need to do if we want to be the people that are going to experience God. Like, I think a lot of us want to. So let's look in Acts chapter 1. Verse 12, then the apostles returned. So this is right after the conversation with Jesus. Go change the world? Okay, let's, let's see. What's the next plan here? They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. 
When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Not Judas Iscariot. He's already gone. Verse 14, they all joined together constantly. Two really important key words you find all throughout the book of Acts. In prayer, along with the women and, the, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they joined together constantly in prayer. I love that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. I love that Jesus' brothers are there. Because remember last week we heard from James? James is one of Jesus' brothers. And like the rest of Jesus' brothers, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Savior of the world until he saw him raised back from the dead. And there he is now, part of this group, crying out to God, praying together. I think this is an incredible model for you and I. I think it's an incredible picture of what it looks like to people who are trying to set themselves up to experience God. Think about what they didn't do, okay? Jesus just go, told them, go change the world, right? What they did not do is, is they didn't hold like a leadership conference, right? They didn't look on their Kindles and iPads, try to find out books on world transformation, right? They didn't have a leadership meeting. They joined together and they prayed and they cried out to God. And here's what I want you to see. Their prayer, their constant prayer positioned them to experience God. Their constant prayer positioned them to experience God. Do you know what that means for you? Constant prayer positions us to experience God. That's what this looks like. Prayer, getting together with God, being these kind of people that are gonna position ourselves to experience Him. Think about it this way. If I want to meet a Major League Baseball player, right, what would I do? I would position myself to be where they are. Right? Like I would, I, I would sell all my belongings so I could get enough money to buy a, a ticket by the dugout, right? Sit behind the dugout, and I'd be yelling out at them through the whole game. I'd try to get there early. I'd try to get there way before game time and go down by the dugout, get some autographs. Or I would find out where the exit to the stadium is, right? And I'd wait out there. Some of you guys are like, Doug, that's called stalking. Okay, call it what you may, but that's what I would do, right? I would position myself to experience them. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. We need to experience God. Awesome. How do we do that? We got to position ourselves near God. How do we do that? We got to be people that are serious about prayer. We got to be people that are serious about being close to God in prayer. Last week, we looked at being in his word, right? Opening up scripture and learning it and applying it. Well, today, I want to just drive home this idea of being people that are serious about praying and getting near Jesus, where he is. These followers of Jesus position themselves to experience God. Let me kind of paraphrase what happens. The beginning of Acts 2, right? They're all together praying, crying out to God, 120 of them, crying out to God. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes, fills them. And this incredible response of God in their lives. Now, here's what I need you to know, okay? It's not like when the followers of Jesus got together and prayed, they changed God's mind and twisted his arm behind his back and God decided to then let, him, let them experience him, okay? This was God's plan all along. I think it's really important that we understand this. This was God's plan all along. He wanted his followers to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus told them, I'm leaving. You guys wait for the Holy Spirit. He's coming, okay? So, God's plan all along is that his people experience him. That's really important for you to know. And I say this a lot, but God wants you to experience him more than you want to experience him. You know what the problem is? 
think so often we're just not positioned to experience it. We haven't positioned ourselves in a place near enough to him to see him do all the awesome things he wants to do. You know what's funny? Remember before I said that 500 people had seen Jesus alive after the resurrection? How many people were in the room we just talked about praying? 120. You know what that means? 380 people missed out on what God wanted to do. Think about that. Think about that for a second. I'm not trying to get you in a guilt trip or manipulate you or make you feel bad tonight. Just think about it, though. Would you have been one of the 120 standing in that room, crying out to God, positioned to experience him when the Holy Spirit came? Or would you have been a part of the 380 off doing whatever they were doing? That's a tough question for me to answer, right? But man, tonight we want to talk about being the people that experience God by positioning ourselves to be there. I just wonder what would have happened if the 120 had missed out on this. I wonder what you and I have missed out on at times just because we're just simply not close enough to him. But there they are. They're crying out to God, right? Let's see what happens as a result of the prayer. Verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now this is not people praying and yelling and screaming in tongues. This has a very specific purpose. Look at verse 5. Now, they were st- now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So God has done a miracle here. God has given these guys who all speak the same language to speak languages that they don't know to all kinds of different people so they can preach the gospel. So imagine going to Times Square tonight and a bunch of us walk in and the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to start speaking French. Yeah, maybe I should do French, you know, sweep it do, you know. Um, uh, some of you guys can speak in German. Some of you guys are speaking Indian. So, I mean, just all these different languages are starting to come out of us. We've never studied them. We don't know them. But all these people are getting saved. That's the miracle that they experience because they've positioned themselves to be near God, right? Just so you know, God still does this kind of thing. I have a friend named Bill. Bill told me about a lady that he knows, right? This lady is getting some gas. She's at the gas station. The attendant's out there filling up the gas tank. And this lady's just praying as she's in her car, right? And suddenly she just begins to feel like God puts on her heart. She doesn't like hear a voice or anything weird. But she begins to feel like God put on her heart a certain phrase she's supposed to say out loud over and over and over again. She kind of like, this is a little bit weird, but she just does it. She's just in her car by herself. So she begins to say the phrase over and over again, out loud. All of a sudden, the gas station attendant knocks on her window and goes, what did you just say? She says the phrase again. He says, you just told me in my native tongue that God loves me. You think in her life's probably a little bit different and his life's a little bit different? Because this woman, listen, at the gas pump was positioning herself to experience God. I talk with you guys about this all the time, right? Not unplugging Staying connected to God all throughout our day. I love that word that we saw earlier in that verse. They got together and they were in constant prayer. Do you think that lady drove to the gas pump that morning, like for her devotional time? You know, I got my highlighter. I'm going to put this on Instagram, highlight, you know, take a little picture of what I read. No, she was there just connected to God, connected to the source. And God used her in that man's life. So God does this miracle. Peter then is able to preach. And if you skip down to verse 41, look at this. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I don't know about you. I want to be in the church service where 3,000 people get saved. I'm down on that one. 
okay? I want in on that. And you know what? The reason it's possible is because we've seen them already twice gathered in prayer, positioning themselves to experience God. Then look at what it says in the next part. I think this is going to help, help us out a little bit if we're feeling a little bit insecure, a little bit pushed back by this message so far. Look at what it says in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, the first word in that verse is the word they, right? Who are the they that this verse is talking about? The they are not only the apostles, but also now the 3,000 people who've put their trust in Jesus. Do you know why that encourages me? That encourages me because I would guess that as you've been listening to the message so far, you've been, being, you've been thinking to yourself, yeah, but Doug, the apostles dedicated themselves to prayer. Of course they did. They're the apostles. They are eyewitnesses of Jesus coming back from the dead. Of course they did. They're these holy guys. I'm a not-apostle, Doug. I'm just me. I go to school. I go to work. I come home. I see my wife. I play with my kids. I'm ordinary. Yeah, but guess what? 3,000 ordinary people just joined the apostles. All the not-apostles joined the apostles, and now they're committed to the apostles' teaching, which is now in our Bibles, right, which is what we talked about last week, learning to fly. And they're committed to fellowship and the breaking of bread, which we're going to talk about in week four, and to prayer, which we're talking about here tonight. And so here we see this pattern, right, in acts of prayer, experience, prayer, experience. These people were positioning themselves to experience God. Verse 43 says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So God's just working. He's working, and it's like, this is incredible. This is so amazing. And it's because largely, again, this was God's plan. This was God's time in human history to show up like this. But also, these people have centered their lives around Jesus, and they've positioned themselves to experience God in such an awesome, awesome way. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Some of you guys are feeling guilty right now. Some of you are like, man, I, I know, Doug, I should be a better prayer, and uh, I'm just bad at this. I, I, I feel bad right now. I feel guilty. Man, I know I should be better at this. Some of you guys are just ready to shut me up right now because you're feeling bad, like almost manipulated, like this guy's trying to guilt me into time with God. Can I just encourage you with something? The way I want you to see prayer here is not as a should, but as a get to. My friend Dave Jacothe, who played bass tonight, said a while back, a couple years ago, he, he said, you know, this is something, like when God invites us to be close to him, it's not a have to, it's a get to. And that's how I want you to see prayer. In fact, I want you to think of it like this. Prayer is a gift that God has given you and me to position ourselves to experience. It's a gift. Think about it for a second. Almighty God, the one who formed the earth, the one who's making sure all the stars are where they are tonight, the one who's keeping your heart ticking right now, has given you access in an open line to him called prayer. And he wants to hear what's going on in your life. And he wants to hear about your problems. And he wants to hear about the good things. And he wants to hear about all that you're going through. He wants to be, be with you at the gas tank. That's the invitation you and I have. It's this gift that God has given us, a direct line to him, to be able to position ourselves to experience him. So this is not a, come on, guys, let's get better at this. No, this is a, guys, let's not miss out on this. What an amazing thing God has given us and it has a desire for us to experience him through being close to him in prayer. I also want you guys to think about this. When we experience God, 
the, the, the most important part of it is that we've experienced God, not just that he's done something we want, right? So like if, if one of you prays that someone with cancer is healed of cancer, that's awesome. But the greatest part of that is that you got to experience a God who heals cancer, that he showed himself in your life. He's always the treasure. He's always the best part of the answer, not just the thing you get. And again, if I could also just throw this in here, this also doesn't mean what I'm not saying is that we can just ask God for whatever we want, right? No, we ask God for our needs, and he gets to tell us then, because he's God, what's best for us, right? I've said this before. I, I bet in the last year you prayed for something, and if you look back at that now, you're thankful God said no, right? Isn't that true? Probably every single one of us. Oh, God, please just do this. God, please let her like me. God, please let him say yes. God, please let me get that job. God, please come through with this. And now we're looking back like, thank you, she said no. She's a psycho. God, God, thank you so much that didn't work out. I would have killed myself working at that job. God, thank you, right? And God is so big and he knows and he gets it so that when you and I come to him, it's not like this blank check. We just say, here, God, do what I want. He's not a genie. He's an amazing God and an amazing treasure and he knows what to give us and he knows what's best as we, as we seek him. So through Acts, the pattern continues. Peter and John are arrested, right? And they're put in prison. As soon as they are released, look what happens. Acts 4.29. They go to pray with the church. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaking. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. What do we see? More prayer, more positioning themselves to experience God. The place shakes. I'm just throw this out there. If you and I, we call the prayer meeting, we go, God, we need a new building. We got to get out of this. The construction's making things crazy. We're growing out of the space. We need a new building. And we cry out to God together. God, show us you're with us. And the building shakes. I'm thinking we're leaving encouraged that night. Like, wow, God hurt us. We might even get a little greedy. Like, all right, Lord, if you shake the building twice, we know we'll be in the new one by summer. He's like, don't push it. I shake the building too much. You won't have one to sell, right? But I'm thinking these guys are like, oh my gosh, we just prayed and we just cried out to God and he shook the place. He showed us again that he is with us. Then if you keep going through Acts, you just start to get to these kind of like get out of here type experiences. Like, are you serious? God did what? And so as we continue to move through Acts, we're going to see some really, really cool things. Actually, we don't have time for one of them, but Peter in Acts chapter 10 positions himself to experience God through prayer again. God does something incredible. But let's jump ahead to Acts chapter 12. Here's what's going on. Peter's been arrested, okay? He's in a jail cell. Herod had arrested him. And I want you guys to pick up with me in Acts 12 verse 4. It says this, After arresting him, he, Herod, put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. I love that there are four squads of four soldiers each because I think Herod might remember what happened with Jesus in the grave. And I think he may remember what happened with Peter a little bit earlier in Acts when they had had him in a prison and suddenly he's out preaching in the courtyards freely again. So Herod's like, he's not getting out this time. Then it says, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. James had already been killed by Herod at this point. And the church comes together. We lost James. We don't want to lose Peter too. 
they position themselves to experience God. They begin to cry out to God. Verse six, the night before Herod was to bring him the trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I don't know about you, I like, I like a quiet, calm wake up. I don't feel like getting struck on the side, but I guess I'm in prison, I'm okay, I'm not gonna be too choosy. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. It's like a get out of here story, just wait, it gets better. Verse 12, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had been gathered and were praying. This is right, the church was praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Pete, Peter is at the door. And Peter's gotta be standing there going, really, Rhoda? Really? Seriously? Verse 15, I love verse 15. You're out of your mind, they told him. Right, this great faith-filled church, yes. Right, they're gonna come together. We're gonna pray for Peter's release. He's at the door. You're out of your mind, Rhoda. When she kept insisting it was so, they said it must be his angel. That encourages me, guys. Because I think if we're honest, we're a bunch of not apostles tonight who would say, I don't know if I have the faith of a Peter or a John. Okay. Maybe we have the faith of one of these knuckleheads in this church who are praying for something and didn't even believe God when it actually happened. And even though they didn't maybe had some faith issues, they had positioned themselves as a church to cry out to God, to experience him. And I love verse 16. This is my life verse. But Peter kept on knocking. Peter's out the door going, Rhoda, it's cold out here, girl. They got chains and sentries, like, help me. Just completely awesome. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They'd positioned themselves to experience God, had some faith issues, just like probably you and I have. But they were gonna cry out to God together, hoping to see him show up and do what only he could do. And so I think we've seen some pretty amazing things. We've taken a little bit of a tour through Acts, no? We've seen them come together in prayer, position themselves in prayer and experience the Holy Spirit come. We've seen 3,000 come to know Jesus in a heartbeat. We've seen people who don't know certain languages able to speak languages. They probably spent the rest of their lives trying to figure that one out. Like, how, how can I do that one again? No, that was God. That was a God thing in that moment, right? We've seen, seen, seen someone escape from a prison cell. We've seen a building shake. Why? Well, God was up to all that. But there were some people who were willing to position themselves to experience. There were some people that were willing to say, I wanna center my life around you, Jesus. And I'm gonna come and I'm gonna be prayerful and I'm gonna expect that you're gonna do some things that only you can do. And so my challenge for you guys tonight is position yourself to experience God. What does this look like for you? How, how are you gonna do this? How are you gonna respond to God in prayer? Well, I'll tell you a couple things. First off, you're gonna have to make some time. I think that we're kind of like a microwave generation. You know what I mean? Like a lot of us probably, you want some Pop-Tarts, you probably throw them in the microwave, right? You don't have to be patience for the toaster, much less the oven, right? God, I don't think, does microwave. I think he likes the slow oven cook, man. And it takes time, but it gets a ton right. There have been times in my life I've gone to reheat something, I throw it in the microwave, I go to eat it, I'm like, that's an edible, and I throw it right out. 
There's other times I'm like, I'm going to throw this in the oven, take some time, take some patience, but it's worth it, right? And I think that's what God's calling us to, guys, especially many of you here tonight that are young people. Man, our generation, I guess I'm not in your generation really, your generation really terribly needs young people to stand up and say, no, we're going to seek God and we're going to get serious about it and we're going to take time and we're going to invest and we're going to do the, the, the slow cook here if that's what it takes for God to do what he wants to do. See, I think the reason God does it this way is because he values the relationship with us. Like, he doesn't just want to microwave a relationship with you. Like, what time does that take? What investment does that take? I think the thing God wants from us most is our attention and our closeness with him. That's what I want for my kids, right? I want to be close to them. So if I can figure out a way to spend more time with them, I'm going to do that. And that's the truth. I think the heart of God for you and I, it's, it's, he wants this time with us, this, this closeness, this nearness with him. And so when are you going to do that? Some of you guys are morning people. God bless you, morning people. There's a verse in Proverbs that says that a loud greeting in the morning is to be taken as a curse. And I say amen to that verse. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. But some of you guys, I still love you. You're morning people, man. You wake up, you are ready, okay? So that's your time. Wake up. Set the clock a half hour earlier. You'll love it. You'll be like, cool, I get up even earlier. I'm like, you're psychos. So get up even earlier, right? Take out your Bible. Learn and apply. Pray. Be with God in that time. Cry out to him. Some of you guys have a nice long lunch break or you get home from school, you got a break before you got to go to work at night, whatever it might be. Find your time. I'm a night guy, so I'm up at night. I'm praying at night. I'm spending that time with God at night. But that's got to be there. If we're going to be people that position ourselves to experience God, there's no shortcuts here. There's really not. It takes time. It takes investment. And again, this is a get-to, not a have-to. This is an invitation. This is a gift that God has given us to position ourselves to experience. And so will you think and pray about when that is for you? Some of you have a commute. Use the commute. Whatever it takes, do what you got to do. Another thought, stay, stay connected. Remember our, our hero at the gas station. What an awesome lady. Connected to God. I, I, I give you guys this illustration probably once a month. Keep the phone out. Some of us take the phone out in the morning. You, you crazy early morning people, you take your phone out, and you're like, oh, God, what a great day. I'm so excited. Birds are chirping. And uh, Shut up. Anyway, um, so you're like crying out to God, and you have the phone out, but then you're done with your time with God, and you put the phone away, and then you live real life without any communication with God. And my encouragement is keep the phone out, connected to God all day. This is what the gas station lady did. She was still connected to God. She probably already spent her time. She's probably like up at 4 in the morning praying that day, and God told her to go to the gas station. I don't even know. But she was going to stay connected. Let me throw one more thing at you. Some of us, and, and I want you to pray about this, and I want you to be led. Some of us need to fast and pray. We need to fast and pray. We need to go for a little bit of a season of crying out to God that seriously. And, and throughout Scripture, you see people fasting and praying. What does that mean? It means they give something up, usually food. They give something up for a time so that they can seek God all the more. It's like a, a dependency thing. It's like God... I'm desperate for you. And here's what I want you to see. This is not like we fast and earn something from God. I want to say the same thing about fasting that I said about prayer. Fasting is a gift God has given us to position ourselves to experience him. It is not some kind of earning thing like, God, take notice of me. Look, I'm even giving up coffee, Lord. You know how badly I need coffee, right? So God, here I am. Take notice. No, no, no. This is a gift we get to use. And this I don't know about you, the times in my life God's called me to fast something, it just gives me a tenacity 
not just for the time I'm spending like late at night praying, but all throughout my day, I just notice an expectation in me. And there's like a focus, a focusness, I don't know if it's a word, but as, as I go through my day, I'm just focused on, God, do this. God, show up. God, show yourself. So some of you need to fast. Maybe it's a day. Just take a day this week, and you're not going to eat anything all day, and you're going to pray. You're going to spend several times when you would have been eating, maybe you spend some time praying. You spend some time learning and applying. Maybe some of us, you need to make it a little bit longer. Go for several days, or maybe it's even a meal every day for a week, or you give up something. Right, maybe uh, for me, probably the biggest distraction that I can get in my life is TV. So God's called me several different times in my life just to fast TV for extended periods of time. Just give it up and spend that time praying instead. Some of you guys need to do that. Maybe you do like a 21-day fast, a Daniel-type fast. Maybe you do a 40-day fast. Remember last year around this time, we did a 40-day fast as a church. We did a 40-day revolution, we called it. And we gave something up. Some of us gave up social media. Some of us gave up video gaming. Some of us gave up certain foods or a meal a day. And we cried out to God. And maybe some of us need to do this. And and here's the question. How hungry are we for God? Right? How hungry are we for God? That's the bottom line. Like how desperate are we to see him move in our lives and to get rid of that, that dry, broken place inside us or to come through in a situation we do some crazy things we're willing to do some ridiculous things for things that we're passionate about i love cheesesteaks philly cheesesteaks like the real thing like don't get me one from the diner get me one from philly right so i love them so my brother-in-law and i every year on the way to vacation we stop at this one place we get philly cheesesteaks so we we ate the philly cheesesteaks we got to go philly cheesesteaks we ate them on vacation we're about an hour away me and my brother-in-law in the middle of the week we're looking at each other kind of want a cheesesteak again, man. He's like, yeah, me too. We get in the car. We drive an hour, get the cheesesteak, eat it, order another one, and eat it on the way back. I'm willing to do that for a cheesesteak. What are you willing to do for God? What are you willing to do for a breakthrough in your life in one way or another? What would it look like to cry out to God for the health of your marriage or the health of your parents in that case? What would it look like to cry out to God to come through and provide some finances or provide some direction or heal your body, heal a friend's body. How hungry are we for the most important thing, the only one who's worth centering our lives around? If you're not a follower of Jesus, like I said earlier, this is what you need too. You need to see that God is real, that he still answers prayer today. And so my encouragement to you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, would be to maybe start tonight praying, God, if you're there, would you show me? Jesus, if you are God and you're alive, would you make yourself real to me? But the rest of us, don't feel guilted into anything tonight. Seek God, let him lead you. It's probably not God's will for every person in this room to fast in this season of their life. Seek God and let him lead you. But it's worth it. I know he wants time with us every single day. I know he wants us connected to him all throughout the day, staying near him. And I know he probably wants a good bunch of us to fast in some way or another and seek him with all we have. So let's pray about that, but let's position ourselves to experience God. God, thank you so much for the invitation you give us to be close to you. I thank you that you even want to be close to me. And so God, would you just help us be the kind of people who are positioned to experience you and encounter you in our lives. So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you just pray about that, what that looks like for you? And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I would just encourage you to pray a quick prayer tonight if you'd like to put your trust in Jesus. I would encourage you just to start a conversation and say something like this. Jesus, uh, Jesus, please forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. 
Thank you for rising back from the dead. God, would you just show me how real you are? And would you let me live a life of experiencing you? In your name I pray.